Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast on the Times. I'm Matt Chorley at the Emanuel Centre in Westminster, where we're recording a special Times Plus event for Times subscribers, Brexit Tamed Live. In this, the final episode from the event, we ask, where are we going? What comes after Brexit? Can we put politics back together again? And what would we have been talking about if Britain voted Remain? For this panel, I was joined by the Times defence correspondent Lucy Fisher, columnist Hugo Rifkin and Satnam Sangera, and Katie Perrier, who is Theresa May's Director of Communications. Uh, it's all going very well, isn't it, Katie? It's all going brilliantly. Very so, um, smooth. For people who don't know, you worked for Theresa May when she was good. Uh, in that bit... Uh, <laughs> I mean, all, these things are all relative. In that bit in 2016 to 2017, and you, you, she called the election and you thought, Nah, nah. nah. She was 24 points ahead in the polls when I left, and I thought about getting a tattoo afterwards to kind of just say, or set up a company. And people what, said, her? No, <laughs> the number 24. And people were saying, why did you name a company 24 points? And then I could explain that it was all going fine until we left. But no, I mean, it was about that social mobility kind of campaign. It was about what she said on the steps of number 10 Downing Street. But what we found over the time, although she was dealt a really bad hand... And she's done her best. Um, she's a public leader and a kind of public servant. At the end of the day, what we really have is someone that's just not cut up to the job because she doesn't really have the skill set that is needed to charm her way through those European leaders, charm her way through the Conservative Party to try and get everybody together and get over the line. I, think, I still think that we might get there. But... I said she was rubbish before the election. <laughs> <laughs> the first and last prediction I've ever got right. So there's been a lot of people who feel sorry for her yeah. and how stoic she's been, um, as if she accidentally became Prime Minister and has just <laughs> kept going with it, like a direct debit that she can't cancel. Um, <laughs> but She actually promised her to get rid of those direct debits, by the way. That was one of the things I signed <laughs> that up to. That was one of the things she did. Yeah, broadband contracts and gym memberships. The question, I think, that people, normal people, not, not you, normal people... Normal people who ask, who aren't that into politics, ask, how on earth has she ended up as Prime Minister, given the fact that she seems to be fundamentally useless at every part of the job? Harsh. That is harsh. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of torn, because in some ways I do defend Theresa May in the fact that she, you know, you, you almost kind of 
painting a picture of someone that's kind of evilly sitting there plotting their way through if only. things. If only. <laughs> you know, that's not the case. She is just that kind of you know, lifelong public servant and everything. I remember one of the, one of the moments in number 10 that just kind of shocked me. There were many, um, and you can read about them in the Times. There was a moment where people were walking into my office and barking orders and saying, the Prime Minister wants this, the Prime Minister wants that. And it took me a good month, kind of six weeks, to work out that probably the Prime Minister doesn't want any of those things because she hasn't given those orders at all. So after a while of being very annoyed that I was doing all these things and not having any clue really whether or not the Prime Minister wanted those things to happen, I thought, well, if you can't beat them, join them. So I thought, well, you know, I'm going to start going around saying the Prime Minister wants this and the Prime Minister wants that. And it worked for a while until everybody started doing that and it was utter chaos. But, you know, that, that does kind of give a kind of brief glimpse into what it can be like at number 10, where if you don't have strong leadership and you don't have someone that makes it very clear what they want to see achieved, then you're going to have failure. And there are only so many times, I wrote in the Times newspaper this week, there are only so many times you can blame the advisers. Lucy, the good thing is that despite all the problems on the Tory side, the opposition has got a successful, principled, effective <laughs> uh, leader who's really striking out and showing it, Theresa May how it's done. <laughs> well, it's, um, it's very easy to criticise Jeremy Corbyn, but what I will say is, um, <laughs> and, and um, I do yeah, and, very and easy. have, um, but if you look back at why the country voted for such extreme change, um, I mean, many people highlight the sociological factors, um, immigration, communities changing very quickly in some parts of the country. I personally put more emphasis on the um, economic factors. Um, and to my mind, the Brexit vote was largely motivated by a lag uh, in anger from the global financial crash that led to squeezed wages, um, stagnation, uh, stagnated wages, squeezed families, um, austerity that has decimated many public services. And on that uh, analysis, I actually think what Jeremy Corbyn's offering, it didn't surprise me as much as some other people's that a more left-wing agenda talking about vast investment um, back into public services whether it's economically literate or not, um, it didn't surprise me that, that, that that's been very popular. Um, I suppose we should talk about the B word. Uh, so you are from Wolverhampton. You quite often write about Wolverhampton in your uh, notebook and your column in the Times, um, which is a massive Leave voting area. Yeah, my uncle John Al voted Leave on the grounds that he hated all the Muslims. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect he wasn't alone. No. Uh, <laughs> There could be sometimes in the sort of London, Westminster, metropolitan bubble, there's this sort of dismissive view of people who voted leave. What, what is it that, that people... Why do people in Wolverhampton vote leave? Well, I think more than that, I live in... I live between two extreme places. So I live in North London, very remain. Anyway, I am in London and uh, Wolverhampton, which is very, very leave. The one thing that really strikes me living between the two places is that no one, not one single politician has stood up and said, you know what, it's a really close vote. Both sides have very good points. I'm going to try to navigate it in the middle. Instead, you get Theresa May making that bizarre statement last weekend, or last week, saying, you know, I'm going to be even more Brexit than ever. What we need is people trying to plug the gap between the two, and, and almost no one's doing it. I've, I've seen a few examples on Twitter of people trying to do it. There's Martha Gill, who writes for The Times occasionally, and she said what the people's vote should do is say, look, if we win, we're going to put all the money we save into leave areas. Like things like that, I think, might start the division, but we're not there yet, are we? I mean, no one is trying to plug the divide. People are just fighting. 
Hugo, talking about uh, Twitter, I wonder if you've got a good metaphor for Brexit <laughs> that you'd like to, like to share with everyone. Right. So, um, in my, I guess in my, what, how long have I been at the Times? 15, 16 years, nothing I have written or probably will ever write has had the impact of a tweet I sent while sitting on the landing in our house while my kids were in the bath. And what it was, it was just after Theresa May had brought her deal back and it was rubbish. And I was trying to think of an analogy for something that was just sort of a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. But, but Well, it was terrible, but because it was a terrible idea and couldn't possibly have been done better. And so there was no point in attacking it, saying it could have been done better because the idea itself was so fundamentally terrible, but possible. And so I came up with the idea of building a submarine out of cheese. And it sounds like nonsense. It is nonsense. It went bizarrely viral on Twitter. Within a day, I was being interviewed on, interviewed on MSNBC in America about it. It went into pretty much newspapers in pretty much every country in Europe in different ways. Someone read out the whole Twitter thread in the German Bundestag uh, a fortnight later. Nobody laughed. Doesn't work in Germany. Um, and, um, and I've now got it on a T-shirt and wore it on the march on Saturday. Yeah. Well, I'm disappointed you're not wearing it now. I forgot. We should, we should all have it. I'm sure there's a lot of merch in there. Right, let's, let's do the thing we're supposed to be doing. Let's try, and, <laughs> let's try and imagine that somehow we get through the next week or the next month or at some point we stop talking about Brexit every two minutes. Are we going to find that the political system is broken? It, I mean, it looks like the only way out, even if a deal gets through, it looks like the only way out of it is a general election in which the two main parties are split down the middle on lots of issues, not just on Brexit. Is, are we heading for a big political explosion, Katie? There is a feeling that something has to change because there is a possibility that if we do, do go down that, you know, that journey of a general election, then just re-electing the same kind of people doing the same kind of thing, and they might just look a little bit different or sound a little bit different, but inherently the same thing. I don't think the public want that anymore. And so either they need to change, and one of the things that Theresa May always says is about, you know, if you protect something and you want something and you want to keep it, then you need to reform it. And she hasn't done that herself. But in terms of the party, maybe the offer, the kind of... We, we talked earlier about that negative campaigning, the, the driven by fear. Well, you know, maybe the public is now saying we want to be driven by hope and about promise and what can, can be done. And I do worry that long past whatever deal we end up getting, getting through uh, into the future, the cultural problems around Brexit in terms of how we are seen around the world, how we see each other, the opportunities in the UK uh, for you know, our children. I've got two boys that are nine and six, and you know, I want them to, to have that optimistic future. I do worry that we are just bashing it over the head on a daily basis, and someone needs to go, well, I'm going to break from that. And it's not Jeremy Corbyn in the Labour Party, and it's certainly not the Conservative Party right now, who should never have owned Brexit in the way that it has, should never have taken one side of the argument only, and should have actually tried to go through with a consensus, trying to unite the country over such a division, rather than kind of trying to opt for one thing and going to hell for leather on it. And so I think that there is a moment coming. I don't know what, quite what it looks like. I don't necessarily think it's Chukaramuna or anybody, anyone else, but I, there, is a, there is something that's got to happen. Do you think um, Theresa May might end up being the last Tory Prime Minister? No. Um, Do you think the Tory, the Tory party is so all over the place 
on everything at the moment. I mean, they don't just disagree on mm. Brexit. They hate each other, they brief against each other. I mean, even the ERG, the subset of a subset of a group of Brexiteers, are at loggerheads as well. I mean, I don't know how anyone brings that back together. I think that, unfortunately, we may see a bit more of that before it comes to its end. Oh, good. But what we will see is that time and time again, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but... I would agree with you if the Labour Party had its, had, had its act together, if the Labour Party had its act together. So if there was anyone but Jeremy Corbyn running the Labour Party right now, the Tory party would be finished for a generation. What do you think, Satnam? How do we, how do we put the country back together? Well, actually, one of my favourite quotes about the hopelessness of British politics used to be, actually, I used to think Hugo Rifkin wrote this, but... Let's say it. You, you've, uh, <laughs> he always denies he, it, so maybe I He's take... probably got it on a T-shirt, anyway. <laughs> maybe I came up with this, and it was, uh, all politics leads you to the Lib Dems, and the Lib Dems lead you to Dignitas. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that was... Uh, that was me. Was you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it was oh, me, actually. Um, I'll take was it. it you? I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, fine, yeah. And that was before Brexit. And with Brexit, I think, if you've got a general, a, a general election between two discredited Brexit positions between the Tory party and the, the Labour party, that's going to be awful. But it seems to me a people's vote is going to be awful too, mm. because what if they win by 55%? That's not going to change the argument. It's going to make things even worse. And I think the best thing we can hope for is just for a lot of time to pass before a decision <laughs> is taken, which is what seems to be happening. Yeah. One thing on that, though, really quickly, is that just because we think our parliamentary system might be broken and our political parties... There are an overwhelming majority of parliamentarians that go to work every day that are decent people and they want to do the right thing and they find more in common together across the parties than they've ever done before. In fact, this has encouraged people to work together in a way that they've not done before because we don't like you because you're Labour, we don't like you because you're Tory. And so maybe that there is a way forward with so many of those decent people because what I don't want people thinking is that, well, you know, politics is broken, they're all scumbags, they're not. And that's... That's something worth saying, I think. I, I think, although, although it's really hard, we need to get away even from asking the question, how do we put things back to normal, back how they were? Things aren't going back to normal. For a start, this is a, this is a hundred-year war. This is going to go on and on. It doesn't stop when we leave. Don't be mad. But, um, <laughs> but also, but more than that, what Brexit really was, we talk about elites a lot. Actually, Brexit was a kind of revolution against the idea of representative democracy against the idea of we choose people and they make the decisions, we just put up with it and do what they take. Now, I mean, I, I say we, I think that's a great idea, but, you know, people don't, but that's, a, that's like a global thing. That's kind of happening everywhere. And I, so I sort of think there's going to be, there'll be similar things to Brexit across the world. We may, we may look back in 50 years' time and decide that we in Britain actually got off quite lightly, that we did it in a relatively contained way, like Britain often does massive changes that sweep across the world. We do in a relative contain, relatively contained way, while, while the French go nuts and drop people's heads off. You know. Are they doing that now? They will be, given a month. <laughs> yellow vest things taking yeah. a turn. Well, that's great. They've got yellow vests on both sides now. Just high Some of them that. need a different vest. Yeah. Who knew George Osborne was at the, the forefront of a revolution? <laughs> While we're talking about the rest of the world, Lucy, um, while <laughs> Westminster is completely obsessed on uh, the minutiae of what Marc Francois thinks, um, out there there's a world going on. And Britain, Britain used to lead the world and, you know, it was a global superpower. Is that, given in your day job of uh, covering defence, is that changing? Are we sort of dropping down the, off the top table? Well, I think in many ways we are because we've been so inward-looking um, for several years now. 
Um, we've had the sort of sloganeering of Global Britain and the embarrassing sort of nickname Empire 2.0 um, that's come out of the Department for International Trade. Um, but a recent report by the UN Association sort of picked up a lot of um, anger in the UN that um, the, the UK isn't stepping up to, to the, its responsibility, its sort of permanent seat on the Security Council, NATO's foundering amid Trump's ambivalence and all the time the threat picture is pretty much getting worse for the West. We've got the acute threat of Russia, the chronic threat of China, um, and as well as the defense and security piece around that that we're not really engaging with in a sort of forward-thinking, um, innovative way. There's obviously the other side of the coin, which is prosperity. The Indo-Pacific is the fastest-growing region. There are important kind of shipping routes there that we need to kind of secure our access to. And I just sort of worry that we're not kind of thinking about these things at all on Whitehall, all the bandwidths sort of taken up by Brexit. You're listening to the Red Box podcast from The Times. Still to come, more from this panel at the special Times Plus event, Brexit Tame Live. We'll be back after this short break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. So what would we be talking about right now? This Anything. Is why I brought, my you've brought some notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you said, we think about what we could be talking about instead of Brexit. I've got 15 pages of notes here. <laughs> <laughs> you know. like climate, are they, all, climate are they all things in Wolverhampton? <laughs> <laughs> Wolverhampton Wanderers. <laughs> yeah, battered chips. Yeah, knife crime, climate change. You know, there's millions of things. Teaching. We're not talking about anything except bloody Brexit. But... It seems to be selling tickets. <laughs> Maybe it's good. If, People are now clapping, thinking, I've bought tickets for this. Uh, why, I why did I do that? It's, fas- it's fascinating to think if Brexit wasn't happening, where we'd be now would be in the last year of the Cameron government, right? You'd have, you'd Cameron's still there, Osborne would still be there. Who knows what would be happening with the economy, whether it would be going up or down. Probably it would be a bit healthier than it was. You've got to think back to Cameron's last party conference after he won his majority. 
Well, he, his whole speech was about, we are now the centrist party. And Theresa May made her speech, her anti-immigration speech, and everyone was like, well, she's finished. You know, and, and that was the kind of the trajectory we were on. It's a bit like, it's a bit like when I sort of think back, when you think back to like Ed Miliband running for election and how sort of sneering and dismissive I was about the idea of him being prime minister. And you kind of, I sort of feel a bit like Joni Mitchell, you know, like you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You know, you look back, it would be... Um, but yeah, I think it, it, it's sort of fascinating to think where we'd be if Cameron and Osborne were still there. What would we think of them? What would have happened to Jeremy Corbyn? Can I just jump in on that? I mean, in particular, the sort of horrible irony to my mind is that many areas that voted leave are the left-behind communities who are going to be the worst served by the abandonment of the Northern Powerhouse, the Midlands Engine, if anyone remembers that as a, <laughs> a thing good. for the devolution. And that is true. I mean, one of, one of the most frustrating things about the obsession with Brexit is a lot of the reasons that people voted leave whether it's because their high streets were crap or their factories were closing or they couldn't get well-paid work or, or move to automation work, none of that is being addressed. And nothing I've heard from any Brexiteer has told me that has promised me that that's going to change. In fact, if investors from the UK decide to go elsewhere, if car manufacturers decide to go elsewhere, they're going to be doubly done, quite frankly. And so I, I'm very concerned about those people because... You know, they voted a certain way, and I will never criticise the way they voted because I, I totally understand why they did that. However, I, if they're not best served by this, and it's actually not as good, is it because we didn't have a true Brexit and it was betrayal? Or is it because it was fantasy land that was never going to be delivered? And then what do they think of their politicians? And then how are they tuned out of what's going on in the country? And they won't ever vote again. And they are, you know, they, they are telling their children never to vote again and how all politicians do is let you down. I think it's quite a poisonous cycle that we could get into in the next couple of years where all of that faith, the very little that is left, is utterly destroyed. But you just need to cheer up, Katie, because um, <laughs> if, only, if only Theresa May was more like Moses, uh, <laughs> it would all be fine, apparently, in the random Brexit metaphor generator yeah. that is... Um, 40 years in the desert living off bread. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. All the locusts are coming. Maybe we can eat them. Um, the massive growth in insects. Um, the world eating insects. I'm thinking about investing in them. So yeah, maybe we should all do that. Start stockpiling. Yeah, stockpiling insects. There we are. Start stockpiling insects. They kind of stockpile themselves, if you play it right. That is true. <laughs> that is true. Right, just before we wind up, and I didn't warn you of this, but we've got a minute left. Um, where do you think we're going to be at the end of the year? Who's Prime Minister? Are we in or out of the EU? Uh, are we still just going to basically be sat here still talking about Theresa May's going to have one more go next week? <laughs> <laughs> she really thinks this time she's going to get it over the line. Lucy, let's start with you. It's incredibly annoying when people say they don't want to be a hostage fortune, so I will say I think Jeremy Corbyn will be Prime Minister. Wow. Oh. You wait, they'll all come for you. <laughs> <laughs> Corbynistas won't like that. Hugo? I mean, I... <laughs> What Theresa May is really, really, really good at, there is a thing, it's, it's getting to the end of the day. She's really, really good at getting to the end of the, end of the day. Throughout her prime ministership, every day so far, she's got to the end of the day. Really and good. I can actually see a year from now, four years from now, 50 years from now, <laughs> she'll still just be getting to the end of the day. Nothing will have happened. No. It'll be exactly like this now. We'll be, we'll be, we're going to be four days from Brexit forever. I, yeah. I'm slightly fearing we're not going to send people off with a song in their hearts that we were, <laughs> we were hoping for. Satnam, where are we going to be at the end um, of the year? I think uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers are going to win the FA Cup. <laughs> yeah. 
And Sajid Javid will be Prime Minister. Oh, OK. You did a very good um, interview with him in I, The Times magazine. Yeah, I didn't like him. I don't know why I'm saying that. You didn't like him? No. Why well, we've, like I think him? we've given up liking politicians. <laughs> yeah, they're tolerating yeah. them. It's like... You don't like anyone you interview. I've noticed that. Yeah. It's the thing, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Maybe mm. it's me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. If you follow Theresa May's thing, it's definitely not you. It's them. Deal or no deal, she's gone. Yeah. Christmas at Chequers is no happening. <laughs> no. Chicken lasagna and boiled potatoes, you can keep it. That's one of my favourite stories about Theresa May. When she was plotting her um, general election at Chequers, she invited her advisors round and served them chicken lasagna and boiled potatoes. <laughs> She's never heard of onion bhaji. No. Um, and I think that, that's the most Theresa May That is very dish. Theresa May. Just, in, just in not, not Beige, the fact that she would have bland, chosen it. stodgy. The fact that someone would have said, up. this is the menu, and she would have gone, oh, that's nice. <laughs> she would have gone, that sounds crap. I want a different, you know, I want a different menu. But she just said, OK, fine. And that is, in a nutshell, where it's gone wrong. There we are. <laughs> Theresa May and boiled potatoes. Right, I've forgotten this. We've got five minutes for three questions. So... <laughs> If you think we can offer any insight whatsoever, <laughs> pop your hand up and we'll get a microphone to you. There we are. I'm from Grimsby. Uh, 70% of people voted leave. I would have voted remain, but I'm not old enough. Uh, I am now, fortunately. Um, so my question really is, what can politicians do to recover the trust of people in Grimsby who are so disenfranchised and so fed up with politicians? Thank you. Satnam. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what's really missing? I miss it just as someone with some charisma. What, here? here? Yeah. <laughs> you, you in particular. Um, you know what I mean? There's, where, I think more than anything, people are kind of trying to work out what the solution is to Brexit politically, but it just takes one person with charisma to persuade people. And this seems to be utterly lacking. There's no one on the scene that you look at and you think they could do it. Lucy? I think it takes a bit more than personality and energy. I just think we need policies, you know, the social care question needs solving. You mentioned knife crime, climate change, housing, rebalancing the economy, dealing with the fourth industrial revolution that's coming and how automation is going to change the employment outlook. I mean, anyone who can sort of start to address those questions, I think maybe has a hope in hell. <laughs> is it... Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that was a name, that's a tune. Or, um, Hugo, is it a bit like the old Ed Miliband uh, adage of under-promise and over-deliver, that actually promising to do a little bit about a few things is better than these sort of slightly mad claims which are made now? I mean, I guess it's just doing the work. It, just, it takes money, that's what it takes. it takes. It takes tax and it takes money. I mean, you've got to, you, do you look at... I always think when, you, when, you, when we talk about these, sort of a, these areas in Britain that are struggling, you go back 20 years, 25 years, there were areas in Britain that, that were struggling. They were right in their cities. They were inner city London. Inner city London was like transformed in, in what, a, a quarter of a century by money, money into schools, money into business, investment. It's a wonderful place to live now. You know, it, it, sort of, it can be done. It's just money. It's just raising the money and spending the money. That's it. It's also attracting it from elsewhere. So if you do have a dying car manufacturing industry, then you tap up the biggest drone manufacturers in the world and you say, look, we've got really yeah. good, skilled people here. Come here and we will give you investment and we'll give you R&D money and we will attract you here. And that's what the industrial strategy was meant to do. It was meant to not necessarily pick winners, but highlight where are we going in the next 20 to 30, 40 years and back those industries and back those employment opportunities. 
And that seems to have fizzled out because Brexit's taken over again and sucked the bandwidth out. And if you speak to anybody in the business department in government, they are being inundated. No wonder Richard Harrington resigned because they are inundated on a minute-by-minute basis from some business somewhere in the UK saying, just the uncertainty alone is killing us. It's not even about what, what deal you're going to end up with now. It's the uncertainty that's just, we can't cope with it any longer. And I think that whatever happens, we need to kind of understand that just, just having a path to follow will be better than no path at the moment. OK, we've got time for one... Well, we haven't got time, but I'm going to have one anyway. One more question. Make oh. it a cracker. Well, Hugo mentioned an alter, alternate history, and if Ed Miliband could eat a bacon sandwich, the world might be a very different place. <laughs> so my question is, how contingent has all this been, or was it always inevitable that Brexit would one day be a complete disaster hitting us? I think this was always going to happen. Because I did A-level politics, right? And I remember... I remember... (laughs) One of the essay questions, we had three hours to answer this question, and it was two words. It was, wither Europe, question mark. And it's it's possessed us before Brexit, and it's going to possess us forevermore. Have I answered the question? I haven't, have I? Well, it's all right. (laughs) I'm not here to judge, Katie. (laughs) No, I think that... Um, what we've seen in certain things like general elections, so Theresa May starts off with a 24-point lead, and then over six weeks it kind of comes down to pretty much nothing. And you can see how things move so quickly in politics. You know, I've been on stage with Matt Chorley, and I've sat here and gone, we're we're looking at absolutely 80-seat majority. And Matt's kind of got one eyebrow up, looking at me going like, yeah, right. I remember that. It was two two days before the election. It it? was. And I'd already revised it down from 100. So I was... And every time someone asked me, I thought, oh, 70, 60... 50, um, you know, just kept on changing my mind the whole time as kind of confidence left. But this is how quickly things can change. I don't think this was inevitable. Sure, Brexit was always, or Europe was always going to be a massive problem within the Conservative Party and the Labour Party, because whenever you put a spotlight on both, you do see those problems, the historical problems. But we didn't need to end up in this way. And that's why, you know, despite being a good Prime Minister in many different ways, David Cameron will always have that legacy, because it didn't need to end up like this. Although Theresa May is giving him a run for his money in that particular uh, league table. Hugo, was this always inevitable? Well, I mean, it depends what this is. I mean, there's, there, was not, there was not a way of doing Brexit well. There were ways that Brexit could have been done better than it's been done. But any, any Brexit is, is in, all the, in all the challenges that Brexit sets itself, any Brexit is worse than the status quo. That's just, that's just a sort of in, inevitable problem, really. Um, and it's, it's almost it's a problem that it's a problem. A lot of what Ian Duncan Smith was saying about, you know, we were being increasingly more bound into Europe in a way that people hadn't necessarily consented to. That's kind of true, but it doesn't change the facts of where we are now. So I, I, think, um, I think Brexit as, once we'd had the referendum, this is always where we were headed. The referendum itself, yeah, it could have gone another way if we'd not had it. But that's, that's the best I've got. <laughs> Lucy, Farley, for you. Uh, all I'll say is I pity the unborn generations who will have to answer A-level history questions about Brexit <laughs> in future. I think you should pity those of us who are still writing about it every solid day. <laughs> um, I'm sorry to say we've run out of time. Uh, I'm not sure we've answered any of your questions uh, in any great way, but um, we've had fun trying. And if you can bear the idea uh, of a whole evening with just me, I'm performing my one-man show, This Is Not Normal, on Wednesday, May the 29th at the Bloomsbury Theatre, with tickets on sale now at mytimesplus.co.uk. My huge thanks to all of our panellists, to Lucy Fisher, Hugo Rifkin, Satnam Sangeva. But for now, for me, Matt Chorley, good night.
Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.